This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning. Welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual, with me in studio, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, you're decked out in Toronto Maple Leaf uh, uh, hoodie, and uh, I guess you're getting ready for the return of the boys of summer. The Thursday. The Blue Jays are coming back this Thursday, starting the season off against the hated Yankees. So uh, certainly you're ready for uh, what's transpiring this week, but... Um, Busy show today. Um, shortly after the first break, obviously it's time to talk about the Raptors uh, uh, as they're making their drive towards the playoffs. So we've got Raptors TV analyst uh, Leo Routens, and uh, at the bottom end of the hour, our golf guru Sean Clement. It's uh, the weather's a little bit chilly out there, but I'm uh, I'm smelling the opening of the golf season in Toronto and Masters Sunday is right around the corner. Naz, last night. Uh, Don Cherry on Coach's Corner uh, went to bat, and so did Ron McLean for that matter. Um, uh, went to bat for Eugene Melnick. Uh, Melnick, uh, Eugene's been on our show a few times. Uh, he's he's been the subject of a of a billboard campaign in Ottawa and um, and on Hockey Night in Canada and Sports last, last night. Uh, Don Cherry uh, had a few interesting comments too, and we like to we like to play them, and then we want to chat about them afterwards. So Sebastian, if you can tee that up. Let's hear. I know everybody in the world is against Eugene Melnick in Ottawa. And for the life of me, I cannot understand it. This guy is pouring mid. Look at the sign. A guy, now maybe his heart's in his right place. There's a sign about Eugene Melnick. Get out. And all the fans feel this way. I cannot believe it. Here's a guy that it spends millions of dollars. The people don't show up. As we've said many times before, there's seven rinks, sends rinks around there, Ottawa. He puts it on. The only bad rink they got is where he is. He's playing anyway. Now, listen, this guy puts up millions of dollars. Nobody comes out to you know, say, oh, well, they, if they had a winning club. Yeah, they had a winning club last year. They were one shot away from getting to the finals, and they still didn't sell out. He is nuts to even stay there. He pours millions of dollars into the franchise, and what do they do? They give him a hard time. And the interview, you, you mentioned the interview. Right. He gets, if fans are upset, because I think you're right, Don. I think people in hockey are not mad at Eugene Melnick. They know what he's done for well, the city. Well, you're saying all the fans aren't ho- hockey people? Well, not the people that have kids in hockey. If you have a oh. kid in hockey, you love Eugene Melnick for what he's done for rinks around And now. let me tell you something. He had an interview down by the glass. You remember that? He said, why should I pour millions in when the people don't care? Right. And that's all I've got And he to said, say we, we would be better somewhere else if it's not not working in Canada, we would be better, you know. Quebec even better. Yeah. Naz, uh, um, before I turn it over to you, I, I want I want to give you first shot on, and we, you and I had a pretty um, 
a pretty heated discussion, not heated in the sense that we disagree. Not against each other. Uh, we're, we're on the same wavelength. But uh, after we had our discussion uh, this morning, we've talked to Eugene about, uh, and we've talked about this issue on this show quite a few times. Um, you know, I just, just decided to go to Twitter, and, and, I, and I Twittered Cherry Melnick. And, and some of the rants that I'm seeing against Don Cherry on Twitter this morning, uh, you know, I don't know what it is about social media, about Twitter. Uh, Facebook's not as bad. But, man, it brings out the worst in people. People feel like they can say, you know, use the most pejorative terms. They're calling, you know, you know use the word moron and other words that I can't even say on the air. And, you know, and they go and, they, you know, and, and, you know, everybody with a phone or a typewriter nowadays, you know, has an opinion and that's fine. But the vitriol that I see from some people against Eugene Melnick in this billboard campaign, Melnick out, Naz, take your shot. Well, Eugene Melnick is absolutely right. And Don Cherry is absolutely right, too, because uh, if you're a business owner and if it's not going well, right? You, you have the right to close it down or sell it. And, it, you know, he should sell that uh, team because Ottawa doesn't, shouldn't, shouldn't belong in the NHL. That's as far as I'm concerned. I don't think it's an NHL market for a team. And uh, these guys that are uh, giving it to Eugene Melnick, well, Eugene Melnick should give it right back because there's nobody but nobody to take over that team now if he isn't around. So Ottawa, you want a team or not, you keep Melnick. And I always said on this program that they, that team should go to Quebec City because they had supported a lot better than Ottawa. Let me follow up on that, Naz. Um, you know, it's it's never a good thing. You know, you, Eugene is um, he's passionate about hockey. He's passionate about Ottawa. Um, you know, you know, you can say whatever you want. He came in. He came in and rescued that franchise. I mean, the alternative argument to that is he's a businessman. He bought the franchise at a good price, and he's increased the value of it. That's fine. But he put his money at risk. He put his money at risk. He certainly did. Okay? And he signs the checks, right? And from what I can tell from the reports I've read, that money's been bleeding. Uh, it's been ble- it's uh, nothing but red ink for the last few years. A team that went almost to the Stanley Cup final last year, you are in a series against a team for the ages, the Pittsburgh Penguins, Sidney Crosby, uh, Malkin, um, Stanley Cup champion, and you can't sell out your building. You cannot sell out your building for that. I don't know. I, Ottawa fans really got really have to have a you know, and I know our signal. If it goes to Ottawa, it gets pretty close to it. Yeah, you you really got to think about that. Um, it, you, you're staying away from a Stanley Cup um, potential Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, you're playing the Pittsburgh Penguins, and you can't sell out your building. My God. <laughs> they, they play, they that, is that Eugene Melnick? What are you staying away from the product because you don't like the owner? Wally, they really? blocked off two thousand seats in the arena because they couldn't sell tickets this year, and uh, 
And then they wonder when Toronto plays Ottawa why there's so many Leaf fans because the Ottawa fans give up their tickets and three quarters of the rink are Leaf fans. Yeah, I, is I, that supporting a team in Ottawa? Yeah, I, I appreciate the fact that the issue is complicated. It's not simple, but it's not as simple as putting billboards up and saying Melnick out. You know what? That 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 to me is that a productive solution to the problem? Of course not. You're just you're creating this, and I'm not sure it's all the Ottawa fans. Sometimes it's just a vocal minority. I mean, you know, Ottawa hockey fans. I'm sure there's lots of them that are still completely supportive of their team. Um, you know, the 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 history of the franchise in the last couple of years. Yeah, perhaps you know anybody can be critical of player moves. Uh, anybody can be critical of a GM, uh, Pierre Dorian. Um, you know, the Kyle Turris, Matt Duchesne trade may have not got the way it, people expected. Let's let's uh, let's leave that one. F- you know, let's reevaluate that one in a couple of years. Eugene makes made some comments um, uh, when the uh, when they had the outdoor game that we talked to him about it. He said they were taken out of context um, mm-hmm. and. And and what he what he what he said the timing was unfortunate, uh, but I mean it's the truth, which is and sometimes people don't want to hear the truth, which is you know I'm not staying here losing money in perpetuity. He's worked extremely hard to try and make uh, 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 try and make it work in downtown Ottawa. He's got a project that's gone through innumerable uh, regulatory hurdles. Uh, it's of course the LeBreton Flats project. Um, that project is still in the works. Um, he's still working towards that end result. Um, but he's, you know, Eugene's Eugene. He's not. He doesn't operate by a script. Uh, we live in we live in a highly scripted world, where you know when somebody says something a little bit. A little bit off, it's like, oh, my God, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha you now. I'm going to use that little comment against you for the next six months, the next year. Eugene's Eugene. Um, you know, he puts it out there. Um, he's, he's, uh, he's, he doesn't operate on a script. Um, sometimes his comments in this overly scripted world, unfortunate. Yeah, he'd probably, he'd probably agree with us saying that. Um, there's been some internal issues at the Ottawa Senators with, uh, with uh, uh, from what I've read, from reports, litigation, whatever. But those are, you know, those are internal matters. They, they, they get dealt with. All organizations have those types of problems. Do you think there's anybody in Ottawa that would buy that team? Really? If there was, Eugene uh, should not, not, sell not, it to them and uh, make a profit. Well, you know, in today's world, uh, based on the Las Vegas Knights and on the Seattle uh, – Supersonics or whatever they're going to be eventually the the Thunderbirds or whatever the whatever name they come up with, um, we're talking we're talking franchises that are worth five to six hundred million dollars. No, I don't think and, Eugene and would Eugene, get that for for oh, Ottawa. No. Uh, ultimately, and I mean I I want to see I want to see the NHL stay in Ottawa. It's it's not my it's not my preference to see the NHL move out of Ottawa. I'd love to see the NHL in Ottawa. I want to see the NHL in Quebec City. Um, but if something, if this if this is the way the Ottawa franchise is going, um, 
where the, you know the fan base turns against the guy who's signing all the checks and has has kept this alive in Ottawa. Um, you know what? If I was Eugene Melnick, I'd I'd, I'd think about my options. I think about my alternatives. Uh, I'm sure there are people in Quebec City that would love to write him a nice big fat check, but I, I I'm convinced that that's not what Eugene wants to do. He wants to make it work in Ottawa. I really believe that he does. And and these and you know he's not turning on the fans. What he said was just stating economic reality, which is I'm not staying here in perpetuity and blowing my children's inheritance until such time as as uh, you know forever. He's saying like any rational economic actor will do. At some point in time, I've got to stop the bleeding. So, you know, if, if we can't make this happen here, we've got to figure out a way to make it happen somewhere else. Well, you heard Don Cherry say something about Quebec. He knows deep down that Ottawa can't support a team. I think Ottawa can support no, a I team. Don't I, so, really, I, I believe Wally, they I don't can. Think so. I, I don't believe think so. they can. I don't think so. I, I think this whole Canada, Le Breton, Flats thing has distracted attention from the team. It's, it's, it's alienated your local Canada fans who don't know... Uh, from the reports that I've read, 70% of the Ottawa Senators fans live within 10 miles of the arena. And that arena's out in the, you know, I like to use the terms middle yeah, of nowhere. They, get, they make that as an excuse. You, know, okay. you have a playoff game, you're in the semifinals of the Stanley Cup, and you're in game seven overtime, and you can't sell the building out in Ottawa. It doesn't matter where the arena is. They should have been there. On that point, I agree. you have my wholehearted support, Naz. Yes, absolutely. There's no excuse for that. And, you know, Auto fans, you know what? Take a good look at yourselves in the mirror. Exactly. Uh, anyways, we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. I'm not trying to, you know, we uh, we can be as critical as we want. I'd love to see that res. I'd love to see uh, an effort made between Eugene Melnick and the fans. I know that Eugene's been doing a couple of town halls. You know, you read this nonsense on Twitter. I mean, like nonsense beyond belief. You know, yeah. they know. You know, he's he's trying to reach out uh, to the fans. Uh, he's, you know, he, he, and, uh, and there's that divide there. And hopefully I'd love to see, I hope I'd love to see that divide bridged and I'd love to see hockey be successful in Ottawa as just as much as I'd like to see a franchise in Quebec city. I think it's too far gone for, for that Wally. I think, uh, Melnick and Ottawa are not. Uh, made for each other. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm I think, not, I, think it, I think it's reached that point. I don't think I don't think Eugene's going to give up that easily. I, if I if I take the measure of the man, um, he's in he's in there. He's going to do whatever he can to try and turn it around. And you know, we wish him the best of luck. Anyways, uh, we've got a lot of other things to chat about on the phone and uh, on the phone on the show today. Uh, we're going to go to break and right back after the break. Leo Routens. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced that you can get a three-topping party pizza with 24 slices for just $24. It's perfect for large groups on a budget, like staff meetings, sports teams, or special ops units. Go, 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 go! Everybody down! So before you break down any doors, get a three-topping party pizza with 24 square slices for just $24. Call Pizzaville on your cell phone at pound 3636. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them every day. 
They've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. There are two ways to argue sports with these guys, and none of them work. The boys are back, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning. Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. Downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM, and on the internet, www.zoomerradio.com. CA. We're pleased to welcome back to the Nazamali Sports Hour, Toronto, Toronto Raptors TV analyst, Leo Routens. Good morning, Leo. Good morning. How are you guys this morning? We're doing great. Uh, I'm, I'm personally absolutely thrilled about Sister Jean and Loyola uh, Chicago and the NCAA making the Final Four, and we'll chat about that. Uh, but let's, let's chat about the Raptors first, uh, Leo. Uh, um, we're we're in the home stretch for the playoffs here, and an interesting week, an interesting game against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, uh, obviously, listen to you on some of the other radio stations, Leo, and uh, uh, I'm not so sure that we need to make more out of that game. I I took a lot of what happened in that game as a positive. Uh, beat the Nets the other night, and we've got the Cavaliers coming up again soon. So uh, tell us a little bit about how you evaluate uh, the Raptors' week this week. I mean, the Raptors are playing well. Um, I think uh, you go through a lot of highs and lows during the NBA season, and I think that uh, defensively they're on a little bit of a low right now. But remember, you're playing 82 games. They've had, a, they've had kind of a brutal stretch, so fatigue is definitely factoring in a little bit across the board and after the next uh after today's game and tuesday's game they're going to have a little bit of a window where they can lighten up they can actually practice and and clean up a lot of what's going on so uh you know i feel good about where the team is you know a lot of people did make a big deal about losing to cleveland and hey on the season they've split with cleveland they absolutely annihilated them in toronto uh, it took uh, a historical performance, 35.17 assists and no turnovers uh, by LeBron James to beat the Raptors by just a few points in Cleveland. And uh, and, you, and, and guess what? They were embarrassed in that first meeting, so they had a lot to play for in that second game. So, um, you know, I think the Raptors are, are in great shape moving forward. And especially, and I, I like to ask the fans that, uh, 
thought this was a crisis losing that game. It had the Raptors beaten Cleveland, should should we just mail it in and <laughs> they're just going to walk to the title? That's it. The season's over. Um, not quite. I mean, whether, whether people want to admit it or not, uh, Cleveland, despite all the crap everybody's heard about this team all season long, and LeBron James are still the team you have to go through if you want to get to the finals. Leo, I was in the States last week, and all they talked about was the Cavaliers beating the Raptors. So in the U.S., we have no respect at all, I'm telling you. It's really bad. But how is Cleveland now with all those changes? Are they a better team, or are they worse off? Uh, well, first of all, I, I, I don't necessarily think that the Raptors have zero respect. I, I think respect is earned. And if you want respect, you win. And I think that the Raptors are doing that, and they have to continue to do that. And then you're going to get plenty of respect. So I, I, I'm not hung up on the respect thing. I mean, if you want respect, look at San Antonio. Uh, they've won championships, and still nobody ever talks about this team. Even when they're, when they're one of the top teams in the league, nobody talks about them. And they don't complain about respect. Uh, they just go about their business. And I think the Raptors need to take, take that same approach on but um, uh, Cleveland, to me, as I said, you know, I was never worried about anything going on there. Uh, you know, everybody wanted to make a big deal of things, and, and LeBron did what LeBron does, meaning that he kind of mailed it in, and he sat back, and he let things go a little bit crazy because he wanted change, and he's powerful enough and good enough to, to do that. And he got the changes that he wanted, uh, maybe not 100%, but he got changes. So uh, the team is younger. The team is more athletic. Um, and in, and the personalities fit better now. And that's, that's so LeBron got what he wanted. But I, I, I like I said, I, I don't go along with the popular uh, wave when people thinking that they were in trouble. I don't think they're ever in trouble as long as you got LeBron James. Um, he can still take that team to the NBA Finals. And now I think he's got a group he's content with that uh, that uh, he knows the changes have been good. And he's locked in and getting ready for the playoffs. I mean, you have to remember, this is a guy that uh, if you put him on Detroit, Detroit would be going have a chance to go to the NBA Finals. If you put him on Charlotte, Charlotte would have a chance to go to the NBA Finals. There's not another player in this league that you can say that about. So that's how good he is and how respectful I think uh, Raptor fans have to be uh, on what they're up against. Uh, we're talking Leo Routens. Leo, um, uh, let me tell you my concern, and I, I want to I get your reaction to it. Um, I've been a keen observer of sports for a long, long time. And the Raptors are obviously going to win, uh, are going to finish first overall in the East. And all the media, all the fans... Everybody now for the last couple of weeks has been talking about a Raptors-Cleveland matchup in the playoffs. Uh, and obviously the Raptors, and, and, and the discussion has been, you know, hopefully the hope is we don't get the Cavaliers until the finals. Uh, my concern is when you get into these types of discussions, um, uh, we're overlooking that the Raptors aren't going to meet the Cavaliers in the first round of the playoffs. They're likely going to meet Milwaukee or Miami for them, I can take. Uh, are we getting ahead of ourselves? Are, are, we, are we focusing too much on the Raptors-Cavaliers 
and 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 forgetting that upsets are an epidemic in the first round of the playoffs in the NBA and in the NHL. Uh, you know, I I I don't I don't think that the the Raptors are getting ahead of themselves. I think that I think fans and 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 everybody in general uh, gets a little bit too high and too low. I mean. You know the Raptors are in first place. A lot of people think that this team's just going to go and win a championship. Uh, and like I said, you see what happens. You lose a game to Cleveland. Everybody thinks, "Ah, oh, this is garbage. This is you know, this is going to be a first round exit." So, I don't think it's any of the above. I think that uh, you know the Raptors understand very well that there are going to be no easy outs in this playoffs. The Eastern Conference has gotten better, and there's going to be some difficult matchups early on that you're you're really going to have to play well to get out of. And the Raptors understand that. I think that's why the Raptors are, you know, they're preparing for that. Their depth is going to be an asset. Dwayne Casey is mindful of players' minutes and, and, and the direction they're going in right now to prepare for that. As I said, they're going to have some valuable days of practice uh, to finish out the season, which is going to make a big difference for them. And uh, they, have, they also have some, you know, some, some games that could really help them as far as gearing up for that, which they have to play, play Boston twice and Cleveland again on the road. So, um, you know, I, I don't think the Raptors are, uh, are focusing on anything except the task at hand. And, um, you know, myself uh, included, with many people that do feel this way, is that I, I, I do not want to see the Raptor, Raptors play Cleveland until the Eastern Conference Finals. That's not a team I want to see prior to that, um, simply because you think of what happened last year. I mean, last year the Raptors met Cleveland in the semifinals and they were eliminated. And if, if that were to happen again this year, uh, people just would think of this whole season as just a complete waste, uh, which I don't agree with, but that's the way it would be perceived as. Whereas the year before, the Raptors went to an Eastern Conference Finals with Cleveland, lost in six, and people thought it was a great season. So um, I think you really have to be careful of, of, of perception here. So. I would hope that, uh, and I, and again, don't get me wrong here. It's not that I don't think the Raptors can challenge Cleveland, uh, but Cleveland is the team to beat, and and uh, I wouldn't want to see that matchup occur until uh, until the finals. Leo, let's look out west. Steph Curry is not healthy, and it looks like they're going to have to play with him uh, without him for a while. Is Golden State in trouble without him during the playoffs? Uh, to win a championship, yes. Uh, to get to to get to where they need to, I think they they have enough talent to absorb that. Uh, but it all depends on everybody else's health. I mean, right now you have you have three key players in Durant, Thompson, and Curry uh, that are banged up, and a few other guys are banged up as well. So uh, this is still a very talented team, and they play extremely well together. Uh, Steve Kerr has done, you know, people people look at this team and give all the credit to the talent. But but Steve Kerr has done a great job, outstanding job with this group. They're a fun team to watch. They, 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 they interchange pieces. They do a, they do a, a tremendous job. So uh, this team is still going to be difficult to play against. And, uh, but I think ultimately to win, uh, to win the championship, they're going to need everybody. And, and it is a big concern because, you know, Steph Curry – a couple of seasons ago, had a similar injury uh, to his knee prior to the at, at the beginning of the playoffs, and he was never the same uh, in the rest of the playoff run. And uh, you have to hope that between the ankle and uh, and uh, this this current injury, that, uh, it's not going to have the same effect on him because he's, uh, he's a tremendous player, and they need him at uh, at close to full strength. 
Talking to Leo Routens. Leo, uh, of course, basketball. The NBA is not the entire basketball story these days, and uh, a fascinating story coming out of the U.S. Mar- March Madness is always uh, 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 a fun time of the year, and there's always mayhem. And this year, uh, and uh, unfortunately, your beloved Orangeman uh, didn't make it through. Pretty but, close. Pretty, pretty close. close. Uh, lost to a good team. But the story this year is Loyola of Chicago. And the team, uh, the 98-year-old sister who uh, who leads a prayer for them in the locker room. Um, it, it's certainly an incredible story. They're now going to the Final Four. Uh, Michigan, of course, uh, won last night. And uh, uh, if I was a betting man, I'd guess my guess would be Villanova and Duke will be the other two teams headed to the Final Four. But uh, the Loyola-Chicago story, uh, um, uh, Leo, um, um, March Madness, that's what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a great story. I'm, I'm trying to close to Sister Jean and have her touch my hand a little bit, see if she can give me some of that magic. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it, here's the thing, though. It's, 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 it, yes, it, it is a Cinderella story. I mean, the last time it's been to, I mean, they won a championship in 1963, so that's, that's a, lot, a long time. But uh, I think what we're seeing right now is really the trend going forward. Um because they have great players. They have a great coach. They do an outstanding job of playing together. Uh, and the difference to me, and, and not a lot of people talk about this, Wally, which, which is kind of shocking to me with all the, you know, the basketball experts out there. But to me, the great equalizer has been athleticism. Um, you know, uh, to go back, uh, you go my, my time in college, uh, when you had a team like Syracuse, we were so superior athletically to smaller teams that you know the, you, you could ju- you could just walk over most of these teams. And if you turn on the TV and you saw Syracuse and say a Loyola or Syracuse and a Cornell or Colgate, you could just look at on TV and go, okay, well that's Syracuse and and that's Colgate. You could just see it right away athletically and the size everything. You can't do that anymore. A lot of times, you turn on your TV, and if you didn't, if you didn't know who's who, you wouldn't be able to tell. Um, so what's happening right now is everybody's got athletes, and when you have athletes, you can defend and you can rebound. So there's one there's one variable that comes into play, and it's a big one: who gets hot and who can make shots. And when you're in a one and done tournament where the pressure is incredible, okay. And all that pressure sits on the high seeds. So it sits on these guys that, uh, you know, the number ones, the number twos, the number threes. These guys are, are just, there's so much pressure for these play, these programs to win. And, and, and you know, the coverage is incredible. And now with social media, you can't get away from it. The coverage is 24 hours of, of, of talk. So uh, you get into these games and, and you and you. Play, play strong. The longer the game goes, the more the pressure is on the high seeds. And the, the lower seeds can play loose. And, and again, they're athletic. They're talented. And now, they're in, now they have great opportunities to win. So I, I think this is something we're going to see more and more. Um, like University of Maryland, Baltimore <laughs> County, that, that doesn't shock me. Was it a surprising win? Yes. Does it shock me? No. Because I think that's the direction. Um, that the tournament is going in based on on the development of the game and and athleticism with players. Leo, because of the one and out uh, rule in college basketball, has the NCAA tournament gotten closer and closer where you see more upsets of uh, 
lower seeds over higher seeds? Well, that's part of it. No, there's no question that's part of it. But remember, you know, people blame the NCAA for that, but uh, that's an NBA rule. That That's not the NCAA. The NBA instituted a rule. Uh, you have to be 19 and, and uh, you know, have at least that one year of uh, extra year of uh, school or, or pro ball or you know, whatever you choose to do uh, before you can enter the draft. So, um yeah, it definitely has an impact because, you know, one, these players come in, they're supremely talented, but uh, it's very difficult to to put it all together. And, and like I said, when you get into a pressure situation, uh, these are still 17-, 18-year-old kids. And uh, regardless of their talent, that pressure can be insurmountable, insurmountable sometimes. And, uh, and then what you have with a lot of these smaller schools, um, you have three- and four-year players that are in the rosters. They've been together for a bit. Um, and and the continuity is is a little bit better, and but again, uh, then you have that that great equalizer that everybody's got athletes. So, um, you know, it's a factor, but uh, there's a lot of other factors coming into play as well. We've been talking to Leo Routens. Uh, Leo, thanks for bringing us up to uh, speed on basketball. It's been a while since we've uh, chatted with you, and uh, all I can say is we're thrilled about the Raptors. Looking forward to a long. Uh, playoff run and got our fingers crossed for that. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, always great to talk to you guys. Thanks. It's our pleasure. Thanks so much, Leo. Leo Routens. Uh, Loyola of Chicago. I'm man. going for Loyola <laughs> to win it all. They, an 11th seed will could win this NCAA championship, Wally. 11th seed. Uh, what, what a story. Lo, Lo, Sister Jean, um, she's pushed onto the court in her wheelchair to join the celebration after the show. She donned a Final Four cap. She even turned it around backwards just to show she's hip to the kids and gave a thumbs up. So How can you go against a team uh, with God on their side, right? Uh, they're up against it. Uh, let's put it that way. Uh, they're, uh, did you, I, I know you were looking through the bracket this morning. Are they lining up against Michigan next, they, next they weekend? They line up against Michigan, and Kansas, and, uh, Kansas could still get in with Villanova. I mean, Duke is yeah. there, but... Uh, well, you know, what? It's, 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 you know what it is, Ned? It's March Madness. Anybody can win these games. I'm telling you, I wouldn't I be think surprised. Loyola, I, Chicago's got a shot I against be, Michigan. Yeah, me too. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they go to the uh, final and win. Yeah, I, they're, they're, I mean, surprised. there's been a lot of Cinderella stories that have gotten pretty close to, not a lot, a few. George Mason, uh, Virginia Commonwealth. Uh, they usually, Cinderella loses the glass slipper when they get to the final four. But what a story it would be if Loyola Chicago gets into the gets into the final, and if they win it, wow! Well, Leo was wow, right. That would though, be unbelievable. Well, Leo was right about uh, the age of the kids when they're one and out. Some of these kids are two and three years older than these kids that are first year. Makes a big so difference. It makes a big difference. Sure right? does. So it's hard to uh, it's hard to um, evaluate who's who in, in that tournament, and anything can happen. And I think Loyola has a shot. I really do. Well, it would certainly be a story for the ages. I'm looking for it made me uh, watch some basketball this weekend, and uh, we'll certainly keep an eye out for that next weekend. We're going to go to break. We'll be right back after the break with Sean Clement. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville introduced the Pizzaville app. Order your Pizzaville favourites right on your cell phone. It's easy, fast, and unlike other apps, the Pizzaville app lets you order and pay for your food. Okay, I've opened the app. Now I'm placing my order. Now I've paid for my order. Whoa! 
Download your free Pizzaville app today from the Apple App Store or Google Play. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics. On time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal, yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. From face-offs to playoffs, field goals to own goals, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. We're pleased to welcome back to the uh, Naz and Wally Sports Hour our golf guy, Sean Clement. How are you, Sean? Good morning, guys. How are you? I'm. We're doing great. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, tell us, catch us up with Sean Clement. Uh, I know that uh, you're doing some great work at WisdomInGolf.com. You're on uh, YouTube at Sean Clement, and I understand you're hanging your shingle in uh, in Quebec City these days. Bring us up to speed on uh, what you're up to, Sean. Well, the um, we're expanding into Quebec City. Uh, our team here continues is going to continue to do our fine work. We've uh, we've built a, an awesome academy in the last twelve years here in Richmond Hill, and uh, the Wisdom and Golf Academy at Richmond Hill is going to be directed by my my partner in the last twelve years, Mr. Paul Davies, and um, the Royal Quebec Golf Academy uh, at the Royal Quebec Golf Club has uh, has hired our services. Uh, for the next five years to go and develop their golf academy over there. They built this incredible facility, uh, this awesome building with these garage doors that open up on the range. The, the range is 350 yards deep, got a gorgeous short game area, putting greens all over the place. We're going to have a, uh, an indoor winter academy there as well. And uh, I'm, I already have uh, a bunch of people coming up from the U.S. and around the world that are already booked for this summer because it's such a bucket list place to go and Quebec City is just so beautiful. Sean, let me uh um let me ask you. I'm getting excited about the golf season. It's a little bit chilly this morning. It's beautiful sunny, <laughs> but it's uh golf season in uh, eastern North America. It looks like it's going to get off to a bit of a slow start, although Thursday of this I've checked the weather forecast. Thursday and Friday of this week might be a little bit warmer. Um 
But uh, we're starting to think about golf, and things got really exciting on the PGA Tour the last month. First of all, we started off with Phil the Thrill winning his first tournament in in a few years, and then Tiger uh, uh, driving ratings uh, through the roof last Sunday. Um, He's got into contention um, in the tournaments down in Florida. And uh, the highest ratings they've had uh, for PGA Golf in a while. Yeah. Uh, you've uh, what's going on with Tiger? Uh, he seems to have gotten uh, a good percentage of his game back. What are you seeing? I know Brandel Chambly is thrilled with what he sees. Yeah. Some of the other commentators on the Golf Channel are thrilled with what they see. Uh, what are you seeing? Why is why is Tiger uh, achieving a certain level of success so far? Well, I think this, the the success has come with him playing a lot of golf with his buddies and getting back to just playing the game and then and you know leaving the the the, co- the coaching behind you know putting that on the back burner and and really enjoying the game again. Um, and if you look at you know when I look at his swing, I can see that it matches his intent and the targets that he's hitting his shots towards. And his putting, I think, is one of the one of the major reasons why he's back. I mean, he's played five events this year, and he's already thirty second on the money list. He's already made over one point one million dollars in those five events that he's entered. And to me, that's that's pretty that's pretty awesome. But his putting is is really where it's at right now. I think he's fourth in putting um, in in one putt percentage, and. Um, that's uh, that means that he's playing the game again. He's not uh, he's not playing golf swing. He's just playing golf, and to me, it's all about how he's going to maintain his strain level. You know, make sure that he's not straining too much over his shots, trying to hit the ball too hard. Um, Sean, you know, uh, and, on that, on that point, there. I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you you just yeah. I, I got at that point. You just it's a perfect segue into my next into my next uh, question. His strain level. Uh, yeah. his, his swing speed uh, is 100. Uh, I mean, he's killing the ball. He's killing. Yeah. He's taking the cover off. He's, he's got the highest swing speed on tour the, the last month, 129, 130 miles an hour. You're talking yeah. about a guy who's had four knee surgeries and from, what, from the reports that I've read, four spinal fusions, four spinal surgeries. He's had spinal fusion surgery on, yeah. on his lower vertebrae. How is yeah. that body going to hold up to well, 130 mile an hour swing speed? Well, I've had um, several conversations with a lot of my MD students, and uh, to me, the, the the spinal fusion should have been done first instead of you know uh, playing around with these discectomies. To me, the discectomy doesn't make any sense at all, and so there, there were failed attempts at fixing his back and now i think that the the fusion itself because you only have one degree of range of motion between each facet joint in your vertebrae so if you if you do one fusion you're just losing one degree of range of motion that's it so so it's not uh it's not as big a deal as people think uh to me it's um if if he strains and continues to strain too much right now he's 42 i remember you know, I'm 52 right now, and, and then in the last four or five years, that's where I've felt that my body has made a change. He hasn't been there yet, but uh, uh, that's my only concern is he's got to stop pushing. 
but the, the 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 good thing is I saw that 120 mile 129 mile per hour swing. It looked well timed and it didn't look strainy. That's what surprised me. So to me is if he locks into low strain, nice velocity, he's going to do terrific. Tiger's been really close in the last two tournaments he's played, and uh, it wasn't for the out-of-bounds drive on 17. And it was funny, you know, they interviewed him after, after his game, and he said, I, w- I should have gotten a three-wood out there and hit it 330 yards and then have an eight-iron in. I go, oh, my God, yeah. the guy can hit a three-wood <laughs> three, 330 yards. Why is he not hitting the three-wood? Well, it's, it's, that's the thing, you know. So he, he, he didn't make the right decision, and he didn't lock in on his decision. That's the thing. For, for, the, for those of you out there, that the first question I ask my students when they miss a shot, I ask them, well, what was your focus? What were you trying to do? And he said, well, in that particular shot, he was trying to hit it over the trees, over the corner, but he didn't fully commit. And if you can't fully commit, then, you know, that spells trouble big time. So... All he has to do is continue playing golf, which means this is where I want the ball to go, this is what I'm going to commit to, and does, does this match my strategy? Yes, okay, let's, let's just go ahead and hit that shot. And, and, and I think that he's really close. I think he's going to be on time for the Masters. Sean, I was, I was noticing that day that uh, when he was taking the lead at that point in time. Tiger was pre- almost in the lead. I think he was tied for the top spot at that point. Yeah. The other players must have seen what happened on 17 because it seemed like McElroy, as soon as that happened, he put the, he put the uh, metal to the, I guess, the foot to the metal, right? And, yep. and took it all the way, right? And do people, yeah. do they look on the scoreboard during the tournament, the other golfers? Oh, it, mo- most do, yeah. I would say a very large percentage do. Um, it's, it's a reactionary sport, you know, so you're reacting to your opponent. And, and, and just, just so you need to know, you know, when to take the risks and, and when to just, you know, play for score. Um, I think the, the scoreboard's a big part of the deal now. Um, you know, it, it's like, you're right. You know, you remember when, uh, when Faldo beat Norman at the Masters, he could smell the blood in the water, and he, you know, shot a gorgeous 67 to Norman 76, and it was just an absolute romp. And, yeah, when, when, you, when, you, when you can sense somebody else is in trouble, it, it gives you a surge of confidence to finish the job. Uh, we've been talking to Sean. Uh, Sean, very, very quickly, uh, we're going to let you go. Uh, golf season's about to start uh, in, a, in a minute or so. Uh, how, should, how should our listeners be preparing for the season? Well, the best way to prepare for the season is come to see us, of course. <laughs> uh, come on up to the Richmond Hill Golf Club. And, have, you, uh, have you got you an opening know, date up there yet? Have they uh, decided when they're going to open the course? Well, right now it's it's looking pretty good. All we need is a few days of warmth, and uh, we'll be up and running. Uh, they're hopefully getting the range uh, organized for next week, and um, the go- the golf course shouldn't be much much more after that. Anyway, Sean, we'll let you go, and um, you know, you and I have to have to have our, our have to have our spring session. I got a lot of matches coming up and a lot of money on the line, so you got to tune me up, my friend. So uh, we'll be we'll be chatting soon. Sean, no uh, one one thing. I think Bubba Watson's got a shot at the Masters. He's playing uh, <laughs> yeah. very good golf, and uh, I think he oh, might have a shot. I'm so glad to see him back. He's he's been hitting such great quality golf shots. Today is going to be a blast to see him against Thomas. That'll be an amazing match. Two uh, not well liked golfers on the tour, I'm sure. Yes. 
<laughs> well, Bubba's not apparently not not, not the favorite of of. of uh, but Tom is kicking out that fan. I mean, that's ridiculous. Right? Yeah, yeah there's there are a couple emotional guys. You know, it's this is a lot of there's a lot riding out there. That's uh, it's all, sometimes it's a little hard to put your emotions in check. That's true. Anyways, we've been talking to Sean. Sean, my friend, we'll see you soon, and uh, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, nice to be here, guys. Have a great day. Same to you. Always a pleasure. Uh, Nez, uh, we're going to uh, turn uh, turn the uh, conversation to uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Can't go. Uh, we're uh, we're well, we're about game. we're about the Leafs are about to uh, accomplish something. Uh, the most points ever in the history of the franchise, a franchise record for points. I think they're going to achieve it. Uh, they're not quite there yet, but it's certainly well within their grasp. Uh, it was a, uh, I would classify as a good week, notwithstanding what happened in Tampa Bay. Um, they, they they coughed a bit a little bit there, gave up a three-goal lead. Uh, but they had a good week, and I want you to, you were in Nashville on Thursday night. I certainly you was. You were at the game. Yeah. Just tell us a little bit about uh, the atmosphere in that arena and your observations uh, of that game. I'll tell you what, that is the loudest rink I've ever been in. Honest to God, Wally. You couldn't hear a thing. The fans are crazy there. Even though there were Leaf fans, there were probably about 2,000 Leaf fans there. And that arena is really loud. And the Leafs were awesome. They had both ends of the rink. They, they were incredible. They were so much better than uh, Nashville that night. They could have won by 10 goals. That's how good they played. And if it wasn't for uh, the uh, penalties, Nashville wouldn't have had any chance of uh, even coming close. And uh, Nashville had been on... Uh, yeah, they were on a tear. They were on a tear. We talked to the Pete Weber, the, the, the voice of the Nashville Predators on the show last Sunday. And I remember talking to him. The, the Predators were peaking. And the Leafs had come off a uh, disheartening loss to Tampa. Although, uh, you know, you know, you know and they played Tampa you, you, too. Play, you played Nashville and Tampa on the road. Um, the two best, so-called two best teams in the NHL so far this year, based on point production and based on observation, uh, Leafs held more than their own. Uh, I, there, there's so many positives out of those two games that you know if if they can play against the top echelon teams, uh, they really. And, and, uh, let me even rephrase that somewhat. And not only can they play against the top echelon teams, I think they've sort of, in a certain way, made a statement that they are a top echelon team. The Toronto Maple Leafs, if they play like they play against Nashville Thursday night, and even so far as the they played against Tampa, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you want the second half of that game back. Um, I mean that that that's that sort of is, a, is somewhat of a boost going into the playoffs, is it not? If, if you want to take a look how good the Leafs are, take a look at the statistics of the team, and they go from one to thirteen, and that thirteenth guy is Tyler Bozak with forty-one points. Forty-one points in the NHL these days is a very good year. They have so much balance up front, and even in, in the blue line, right? Gardner and um, Riley have over forty points also. They have tw- top 13. The 13th guy has 41 points. Yeah, Riley, to me, has um, last while has taken his game to a different level. Um, I don't know if you if you see the same thing I'm seeing. I do, as, I do. But uh, he seems to have broken out of, and he seems to have become 
progressed into, you can almost call him an elite defenseman. He's not Drew Doughty. He's not Eric Carlson. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Uh, but he has taken his game to a different level. And the other thing you, you have to notice is that these guys don't get as much ice time as a lot of the other players in the NHL. They balance their ice time. Top forward, I think, is 17, 18 minutes. Other teams are playing guys 23, 24, 25 minutes, and it makes a difference. They have a well-balanced attack. I said during the year, before the year started, that I thought the Leafs would be good enough to have 108 points. I may not be well, right. They're, they're going to get pretty, pretty close. close. Yeah. Can you imagine finishing with 108 points and finishing third in your <laughs> division? Third. So they got to play the Bruins or they got to play the Lightning, and that's that's what they have to do. It is what it is. But uh, at the end of the day, you win the Stanley Cup, you got to you got to beat all comers one way or the other. Uh, interesting point from Mike Babcock in la- in, the, in his comments after the game last night. Uh, you know, I mean, the Leafs. You know, the uh, you know, Detroit Red Wings are not the team that they used to be, and uh, I wouldn't say the Leafs struggled with them last night, but uh, you know, they they didn't play great. They didn't play a great game uh, because they didn't have to. Um, but Babcock after the game, and I don't know if you saw the uh, Marlowe and Kadri that goal. Uh, oh, back know, saucer pass, uh, backhand know, I, saucer pass. I, I didn't realize Marlowe still had that gear in him, and if you know what, if he can, if he can show a little bit of that in the playoffs, I mean, he could be an incredibly with his experience. Uh, if he sh- if he can show that kind of speed in the playoffs, um, he it would be you know. Uh, it, it certainly would be uh, a beacon for the Leafs if uh, if he can take his game to that to that level. Uh, JVR has been burning up the uh, the you know the red light lately, but the Babcock in his comments last night went out of his way to uh, compliment the so-called fourth line, which is Plakanich, Johnson, and Kapanen, and. Uh, uh, there, there's, uh, you know, uh, I, I wasn't a big fan of uh, uh, of the Plakanich move. They didn't give much up for him, uh, but Babcock certainly went out of his way last night to compliment that line to use Thomas Mc- to uh, uh, use Plakanich in his post game remarks, and I mean those two young guys, uh, Johnson and Kapanen. And Pekanich, you know, if he can resurrect some of uh, of his earlier career offensive talent, that's one hell of a fourth line in terms of offensive yeah. ability. I think Pekanich is only a defensive player now. He's not he's not there offensively. In eleven games, he doesn't have a point. He doesn't have a point in eleven games. Personally, I don't like the Placanic move because I don't like the Montreal Canadiens, but I, I, I will take him. If he lets us win a Stanley but if he leads Cock, us to a Stanley Cup, we'll, we'll be there. But You know, just based on last night's comments after the game, it, it, it almost became apparent to me why Placanic is in Toronto, because Babcock wanted him here. He saw, you know, he saw a role for him uh, in that spot, and, uh, you know, gave him, gave him certain, he's been giving him a certain amount of praise. Um, and, you know, Maybe you know you get a Kapanen who I mean he oh, can fly. He can fly. And this Johnson kid who seems to get opportunities all the time. I mean th- these are the types of things that can you know put a little bit of fire in Pekanica's leg. I mean uh, you know he might be inspired by by having uh, having these young guys on his line. The the biggest key uh, they, they brought up Dermot. I just I checked his numbers last night too. I think he has. 15 points in 30 games for a defenseman, not bad, plus 16. 
He's third on the team in plus minus, plus 16. In, in a short period of time. In a short period of time. He's made a big difference on that blue line. Young, and he can skate. He can get the puck out. Uh, four guys <laughs> uh, going to have to try and find their way into the lineup. I don't know how they do it. Well, what happens to Uncle Leo? Well, I was, when just, he comes I was just about to get to that. Leo Komarov, Dominic Moore, Josh Levo, Matt Martin. I, the one guy in that group uh, that you'd want to see back in the lineup, uh, I think Levo, Martin, and Moore will fill in if there's injuries. But... How do you get Komarov back in the lineup? Oh, they have to put him back in the lineup because you he's gotta such a good, you yeah, got to take Johnson, Johnson out. Johnson has to come out for the experience. Plus, uh, he kills penalties. Still in a playoff series, Uncle Leo will be very helpful. Anyways, Naz, we've got a minute left. The boys of summer are coming back this week. I'll uh, give you the last word. To what's, your, uh, what's your assessment of the Blue Jays? I know we'll talk about it significantly more next weekend, but uh, what are you expecting from the Blue Jays this summer? After watching spring training... And seeing uh, where Sanchez is, I think the Blue Jays pitching staff will take him to a wild card spot. I think they've got rid of the dead wood, and hopefully Tulowitzki doesn't come back and they start going with these other players. I believe that the Blue Jays are in contention for the second wild card spot. You heard it here first on the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We'll uh, certainly follow that story this year, Naz. Uh, Blue Jays wild card. We certainly hope it comes to pass, if not better than that, but uh, we'll certainly talk about the Blue Jays a little bit. We'll start talking about them next Sunday. Big series against the Yankees and go Jays go. To all our listeners, have a fantastic week. We'll be back again next Sunday morning at 9 a.m. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.